This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Got a little excitement in the chat, wondering if one of our guests will hear us, be able to speak to us. And uh, they are in the back of the studio right now trying to fix their audio issues. So this is going to be fun, folks. But until they can get with us, we have been, we have, uh, is it Dan or Don? My old eyes can't see that Don, small anymore. Don, Don I apologize. That's fine. Um, We've got here, we've got a Zoop campaign, we've got a Kickstarter campaign, and Will and I have a pretty big announcement, and we're going to keep you in suspense on that one until we uh, get to the the comics, which is what this show is about. Uh, Will, uh, how has your week been, however? Very busy. Very, very busy. I'm glad that it's made, I've made it to here, so that's it. (laughs) It's it's the highlight. It's the highlight of my week. I don't know if it is yours, but uh, we get to, we get to hang out, meet new people, and talk about cool comics. Now, what we usually do is a little thirty second pitch on each um, project. To um, let's pretend you're at a comic convention and someone was going past your booth, uh, Don. Evie and the Van Helsings, how would you get somebody in into this comic uh, if they were just kind of walking past your booth and probably wanted to avoid eye contact <laughs> uh well i would just say uh this is my book evie and the helsings it's about the last surviving member of the van helsing clan evie van helsing who instead of taking up the family legacy of hunting the creatures of the night she just wants to rock with her band but she's soon going to find out that she's going to have to learn how to do both 
That's awesome. And Ben, we have a Zoop campaign, August Purgatory Underground. So how would you get somebody's uh, attention on, on this project? I would ask if you're a fan of Star Wars, Transformers, He-Man, all that 80s stuff, but you've been a little bit disappointed with the way that the reboots or sequels have gone, this is uh, a real attempt to kind of go backwards and make a good story that's fresh and new but also has a lot of that sort of those things that bring the nostalgia into the, when you go back to those old franchises um, is kind of put into the story organically. So hopefully it's something that delivers kind of what you're looking for when you see the new Netflix He-Man or the new Star Wars sequels, but also doesn't give you that letdown where it's like, oh, I wish the characters went somewhere else or this kind of clashes with some preconception I had. So this was, is hopefully that experience you've been looking for. Was anybody upset with any of the Star Wars? Uh, there was just sequels? one guy, I think. I, you know, and I really made this comic for him. I, I you know, I just thought, <laughs> it was so interesting that that one person was a little bit upset that I thought, wow, you know. Well, if 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 he buys as many comics as he tweets, you are going to be a billionaire. So, um, well, then well, I'm sold. Yeah, so so our, our I'll give up. Uh, you know, a hint, hint, hint. Our our special guest that's trying to get on is is the writer of Evie and the Helsings. So we're going to let let's start our deep dive uh, with Zoop uh, and uh, August. So if you could share the the page and while while you're pulling it up and I put it on the screen. Uh, what was your reasoning to to trying out Zoop as opposed to Kickstarter? We love both crowdfunding uh, platforms, but I'm just wondering what led you to Zoop. So the reason I went to Zoop is I'm I'm a writer, artist, letterer, colorist, everything, everything from coming up the series to sending it off to press. I do. So when I was doing the first few issues of my other comic, We Are Scarlet Twilight, by myself on Kickstarter, I found there were just a lot of delays that came in from you know, sort of behind the scenes running the campaign stuff, finding printers, getting costs, making estimates on shipping, those sorts of things. So what was, uh, I had been talking to Zoop about doing something. And when I got to Scarlet Twilight 4, I really looked at how the campaign for 3 had gone and some delays I ran into from just doing not just the book, but the campaign by myself. Mm -hmm. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. So I talked to Zoop and said, hey, would it be, would you be interested in me doing number four over on your platform? And they are great about, the great thing about them, aside from the fact they're comics people and they totally get um, everything that goes into making crowdfunding work for comics, uh, they do everything as far as the campaign goes. They set up the page, they do pricing, they do sourcing, and they handle fulfillment. So uh, as a result of that, when I did Scarlet Twilight 4, I was done with the book before the campaign even ended. I think I was done in the first week. So from my perspective, just getting help on the campaign side of things was a huge boon. And uh, the great thing I found was they're also just great comics. People have awesome ideas about making campaigns fun and great insight in what comic people and crowdfunding fans of comics are looking for. Awesome. That's a great idea. I see Steve in the, in, in the chat. So let's check, bring him in and see if the audio is fixed. Steve, can you hear us? I guess not. Steve, can you hear us? I guess not. Okay, um, so we're going to talk about, okay, guys, I don't lie. I tell the truth. I, I might, I might uh, put a little bit of honey on a turd sometimes, but I don't lie to you. We're having a little technical difficulty with Steve, <laughs> and we're going to get him in here uh, because we, we adore him, but um, 
until we can figure that out, we're going to get uh, stick with August. Um, so you, you, this book you were telling me in, in, in the chat, it started out in the direct market. Um, it did. So how do you juggle? Uh, actually, no. Where did where did the first idea where where did this come to you and and where did you decide this is the book you wanted to do uh kind of a long time ago i would say 2011 or 12 i was working on warehouse 13 for dynamite and kind of had this bug this character in my head and started making some sketches coming up with some story ideas and it really took a long time to gestate into a, a workable story um, but I've been basically working on it for about a decade. In 2019, I got the pitch picked up at a publisher, um, kind of had some uh, COVID-related stuff go on there, ended up switching to Red 5 to publish the comic in 2022. And it basically, it's been that's the sort of lifetime of it. So it's almost a 10-year process. And the cool thing about this collection is um, the story ended up being four issues, which I really ended up liking that format. But I had so much artwork from longer versions of the stories, different versions of the story um, from, you know, that 10 year period that there's just a ton of artwork that I can actually share in this hardcover. Um, I think the total the story is about 100 pages, a little over that. And the extras, uh, the entire book ends up clocking in a little over 200. So there's tons of extra artwork that I'm, Yikes. Wow. I was kind of always thinking like, well, it's a shame I'll never be able to share all this because I love a lot of it. And uh, this uh, this hardcover gave me a great opportunity to do that. Did you get kind of lost in the weeds of, of kind of putting that together? Yeah. Like, so I'm an artist first, and that gets you into some trouble if you're <laughs> um, if you're like I kind of want to do like a space uh, you know spaghetti western, and I have an idea for the character and what kind of person he is. And you know, artists we think like the writers they're not doing anything that hard. I could do that easily. Um, this, as it turns out, is not completely true. So my initial take on him was I had this character and I kind of just had him crash land on this planet, wander into a town like an old Western. And the, I, you know, I had a vague idea of where the story would go and some of the things I wanted to have happen. But I was kind of just like, well, I'll just take it like an old, you know, uh, you know, a newspaper strip. They kind of did. It's almost improv. They just go from week mm -hmm. to week, make something exciting happen, figure a way out of it and just keep going that way with a you know vague roadmap in mind. It turns out. Uh, writers that don't do that, they sort of know what they're doing because that didn't work at all. And uh, as I kind of gave it more structure, I had a longer version planned. When I finally got in, got the pitch accepted by a publisher, they were like, well, let's do it in four to seven issues. So I rewrote it for seven. Hmm. Uh, they said, by four to seven, we actually meant four. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's actually a great thing because while I miss a lot of scenes and characters that were in the seven and the 12 issue versions that I had planned, uh, the four issue version is, is, is I think much, much stronger. It's a better experience mm -hmm. and making me forcing me to really focus on my main character and his journey. And, and I think the momentum of following along with a character through an adventure uh, that didn't really click for me until I had to make it four issues. So that was a real gift. And that's probably the format I'm going to do every story in from now on, because I just think that is pretty much akin to, you know, a 90 minute, two hour movie mm -hmm. with that. That's like a fun adventure. It gives you time for the ups and downs. It lets you uh, really just stay dialed into your character's journey and how you want, uh, you know, your readers to feel kind of going along this adventure with this character. So I definitely like that version of the story. But like I said, I definitely got lost in the weeds, or as you said, 
um, in sort of thinking like, oh, this should be longer. I want it to be like a big, thick, you know, watchman size uh, book someday. And they had all these like side things planned and these, you know, other character things. And, um, you know, I'm glad I was forced to just sit down, do something, you know, that I was a little more ready to do. Uh, and it turned out to be the, the absolute right thing for the story. When it comes down to it, it's 200 pages. I mean, what, what's Watchmen? 240? 12 uh, issues for like 22 a piece? So. No, I think it's 48 a piece, isn't it? Oh, are they are they the longer issues? I've only ever read it as the uh, trade paperback. I never read yeah, it no, as me the too. individual comics. So. <laughs> uh, oh, I guess you're just going to have to do volume two then. Uh, <laughs> well, I've got, to I've got actually, um, we just announced today, uh, my birthday's tomorrow. And we're doing Happy a birthday, birthday, um, birthday. goal. Thank you. I wasn't fishing for that. It was part of the story. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to, Zoops uh, had a great idea. So like, hey, your birthday's coming up. Let's do like a birthday stretch goal thing. If we can get to 3K by the end of your birthday, we're going to throw in some digital extras uh, that are really fun. And the one I'm most excited about is um, I have like a 30-page preview slash art book of the next August adventure, which takes place about 50 years after this one. Um, a very different story. This one is kind of a Star Wars type environment where there's a galactic civil war going on, but there's still, you know, civilization and, and thing, politics, things like that. Uh, 50 years later, the galaxy is desolate, ruined, post-apocalyptic. And August is this old, um, you know, legendary figure that was marooned on an island by or a, a planet by himself, like an old pirate and is hunted by killer cyborgs that have wiped out all life in the universe. So, um, going to go right to the next the next story is going to be the end of his life and uh one of his last adventures kind of a dark knight returns uh version of the story and i'm going to then go back and do the ones in the middle so um if we do get to that 3k goal you'll get to see um you know true to my normal process i have tons of extra stuff from that story that'll never see the light of day except for as an art book extra type thing so i'm excited to share that with people and hopefully get everybody excited about where the you know the larger august story is going to go that's awesome. All right, we've got we've got Steve back in. Let's 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 check it out. Can you hear us, Steve? Hey. Oh, hey. all right. I got him. That I is. This happened last time. I have I had to switch over to my iPad. So sorry about that. You know we can't stay mad at you. Yeah. We can try. <laughs> we can't stay mad at you. Well, welcome. We are uh, in, into August, and we will we will uh, finish our deep dive, and we'll get to to Evie in a moment. Don's been holding no, down the fort for you. Um, so basically, it's it's a hardcover, uh, hundred pages mm -hmm. of story, about hundred pages of story, about hundred extra pages of art, um, and so. Zoop is taking care of finding you the people that are going to print it and they're going to yeah, deliver yeah. it for you. What are you in on the discussions of? I'd like it to be trade paperback size, oversized. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. What absolutely. are those conversations like? Well, they, they pretty much just asked kind of what I had in mind. And what I wanted was, you know, in this case, just like the slightly oversized version. It's like a, just a little bit, basically, your interior pages are the size of a normal trade and then the hardcover you know, being like a quarter inch on each side makes it just mm -hmm. slightly bigger. Um, so that's kind of always what I had in mind. And they, they were like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Um, so they pretty much are, they definitely have a lot of good insight. If you say, Hey, what do you think about this? What have you, what's your experience been? Does this work better? Does that they've got that, you know, they've got those experiences and they can share that with you. Um, but they, you know, they pretty much just ask like, Hey, what did you, what did you want to do with this oversized, normal size? Do you want to do 
posters? Do you want to do this? You know, they're they're there to help basically, which is what's great about them. All right. Well, what uh, besides the book? What can we? You, know, you said they asked about posters. Sure. What else can we get with the campaign? If if um, so, we have these versions of the hardcover. You can get the signed version. You can get a remarked version. You can get the PDF version. Uh, we have all that there. This uh, these add-ons you see. Um, this was an idea that they brought up uh, while we were doing Scarlet Twilight Four. They, I'm a digital artist, and they said, "Hey, do you do you want to sell any of your pages?" Oh, I'm digital. I don't really have any of it. They suggested, you know, why don't you, if you're willing to not ever sell these pages again or do anything else with them aside from you know printing the story, would you be willing to like make a nice big 11 by 17 print? We get a certificate of authenticity printed up with it, so it's you know we guarantee it's one of a kind. You're not going to just keep selling it over and over again um, and see if people are interested in that. And they were. So uh, we're doing the same thing here where you can get, uh, I took some of the cooler, splashier pages of August and um, we're going to have these 11 by 17 prints of them that you can pick up. And uh, you know, those are, those are pretty cool too. And then, like I said, we're going to have some other uh, digital add-ons that uh, that we're going to add if we get to 3K this weekend, and probably some other stuff down the line. We may end up doing some trading cards if uh, if we can get to you know get to our goal, and uh, which I can kind of see some of the mm -hmm. um, this is from the art book, some mock-ups of uh, trading cards I put together. Um, so if things go well, we might end up doing those, but we have a we have a long road ahead of us till we get to that point. This art, is, this art is incredible. What uh, are some of your um, your inspirations? For this, um, the sort of Jim Lee 90s image was a big influence. I wanted this um, in my head. This is kind of my meta story for it, is that August was another one of those cartoons from the 80s, like Silverhawks or He-Man or Thundercats. And my, my sort of, like I said, meta story of it was it was an 80s cartoon that faded away and somebody tried to bring it back a few times. And this is that uh, this is that story. Basically, um, we're kind of picking up the story from where it left off um, when it was a cartoon and kind of taking it from sort of a G rated, silly Saturday morning cartoon to something that's more akin to maturity to like an Indiana Jones movie, sort of like PG, PG 13. Um, so not like adult, but more grown up, more you know, a little heavier and um, a chance to take characters that had kind of existed in a very simple black and white universe and and just make them a little more interesting and move the story forward so that's kind of why i took you know my normal art style is is well the way i see it i always draw the same but then when i go to my rendering and my coloring i'm kind of looking at you know what's going to make this story work the best and we are scarlet twilight which is very retro and golden age you know i didn't do as much heavy rendering i kept the colors a lot simpler with this i wanted it to look like your your super glossy you know, well done, slick image stuff that, you know, Jim Lee was putting out that Rob Liefeld and everyone and Celestri mm -hmm. was, was doing when they went over to image, um, and, you know, and have done ever since. So that's kind of what I wanted this story to feel like. So I was kind of doing my normal drawing process, but, you know, really looking at how does Jim Lee render this? How does Alex Sinclair uh, color this type of scene? And you're really trying to give it that sort of sheen. So it felt like, you know, like, I, I think there was a point where Rob Liefeld uh, brought back Battlestar Galactica in the maybe late nineties, early two thousands. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's cool. I, I'd like to see somebody like that doing, you know, re resurrecting an old property. And that's kind of how I wanted this to feel like somebody like that was digging up some old cartoon and, you know, doing what I think IDW did with the, those first transformers comics that I think they were called the war within 
that came out in uh, I think '99 or or 2000. They they kind of just picked up the story, made it a lot more mature, made the art really look cool and different and you know of the time. And that's kind of what I was going for here. So that's kind of you know why I sort of chose the artistic uh, influences for this that I did. It feels to me a little bit like um, going from the Michelangelo Marvel Marvel Man in the '60s to Alan Moore's Marvel Man oh. in the '80s. That's that same type of you know, although you invented, <laughs> you invented the, the yeah. Michelangelo <laughs> portion of yours, but I, I see what you're doing with it. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely what I wanted. I wanted to feel like these characters had been around a while. In fact, there are characters that in the sort of, like you said, the older Miracle Man sort of conventions uh, aren't, aren't, don't play as big a role in this story, but people are always talking about them. Um, you know, I wanted it to feel like well, why isn't this character around as much as they, they used to be? I wanted them to feel missing. So, you know, it was kind of something I, I mentioned before, I, I the nostalgia thing. Um, I look at those stories, you know, the, the new Star Wars movies or the new He-Man stuff, and they almost have this impossible task. They need to make a new story, and it needs to move the story forward, but it's also got to hit all the bases that you wanted, you know, from when you watched it when you were kids. So we're really asking to do uh, two very divergent things. So kind of what I did here was, made up a story that I think worked and then kind of put all this nostalgic 80s stuff into it where I could fit. So hopefully that just by doing it backwards a little bit, I'm giving you a story that's fresh and works and is involving and engaging. It kind of covers the bases it needs to, to be dramatic, but also, you know, by throwing in on like the costumes that we're looking the way they do the haircuts, the, the coloring also gives you that feel like this does kind of feel like one of those old things, but updated slightly. So I was kind of trying to create that experience without, without you saying, oh, I didn't like that Luke Skywalker lives on this island now, you know, like avoiding that sort of thing by not well, picking up something. Existing. Luckily, luckily, no one, no one had a problem with that. So yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, I there was, there was no one. Yeah, 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 it, yeah absolutely. But, but um, literally so no one had a problem where Luke was that. Yeah. Day. I mean, it always surprised me people if they had had that sort of reaction, um, you know, if they I, would have, yes. if they, if hypothetically someone did feel that way, I mean, it, that never surprised me when I saw that movie, I didn't you know, love it, but I was like, well, yeah, he has to, something had to happen to him or there'd be no more star wars. They'd be <laughs> having star peace. They'd be sitting on the beach. They'd be ordering drinks. It would be over. It wouldn't be that dramatic. So to me, I was like, well, it has to be like that. There's no story if it's not like that. And, um, you know, so I kind of looking at that, I said, you know, there's probably a way to deliver this type of narrative and this type of adventure um, by taking these ingredients we have, but trying to find a way they fit together a little bit better. And that's that's pretty much what I wanted to do with the story. Go ahead, Tom. So, you know, Benjamin, August looks awesome. Uh, sounds awesome. Uh, it feels like you're what you're shooting for is like kind of like giving us that nostalgia factor of like giving us what we thought we were watching when we were kids. Yes. Like when we thought the intensity of these things, because when we look back mm. as adults, we see all oh, it's kind of what it was. But, mm. and I think the mistake a lot of these reboots do is instead of go shooting for that, giving us what we thought we were watching, they're like, no purposefully wrenching it into the grittier, more adult thing, just mm -hmm. because as yeah. opposed, um, uh, you, you've mentioned a lot of, uh, the, Kind of nostalgic shows and stuff like that. Are there is there any in particular that you kind of uh, influence that influenced August that maybe isn't like one of the more popular ones? 
because it feels like whenever I talk to somebody about like old 80s TV shows and cartoons, everyone kind of has that one where I'm like, I kind of remember that one. But like, like, how do you not remember this? Or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or is that just uh, me? There is one. Um, so the town that, that he that most of the story takes place in, it's kind of a deserted mining planet, which it has a lot of an old West feel to it. Um, I was definitely thinking of Brave Star, if you remember him. He was great. Yeah, he was yeah. kind of a cowboy sci- sci-fi. There was a lot of magic in the show. He had like a, I think a robot horse named like 3000 or something like that, that he fought the bad guys with. And I always, I really liked that show. And as a kid, I didn't have any of the toys, which always upset me, but <laughs> I, um, I really liked the mixture. They had everything in there. It was sci-fi. It was Western. It was uh, magic. Uh, and it all worked together really well. They had a great main character, some great villains, supporting cast, all that stuff. So I definitely wanted to, you know, and I didn't get as much pages, page count to explore the city they're in um, as much as I would have liked to. But that was very influenced by Bravestar. I'm just surprised they had robot whores in a kid's cartoon. Oh, I, I said horses. That would be a very different cartoon. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, I got to look up Bravestar. I- yeah. <laughs> Not quite. I mean, I haven't seen every episode. It's possible it went off in some different directions, but that's not my recollection. No. <laughs> I bet it's on Tubi. I can find out. Um, well, that's awesome. Good luck coming in. You just passed uh, halfway. You've got 13 days to yeah. go. So good luck. We're going to um, pop on out. If you could um, stop, yeah, sharing. stop sharing, because if I do it, I'll accidentally kick you out. Steve, go for it. Um, first of all, I, I apologize if you, if, um, you covered this before I, um, got in, but, uh, yeah, your work is gorgeous. I, I had some questions about, um, process if you guys didn't cover that yet. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Are you entirely in like clip or procreate or Photoshop or do you bounce back and forth? Can you kind of walk us through because you're penciling, inking and yeah. coloring all digitally. So. Can you kind of walk us through your your workflow? workflow? Yeah, actually, it's uh, none of those. Um, I use a program, a really old program. It's from, I want to say, 2000. Still works some crazy how. Um, that we use at our old illustration studio when I got out of college called uh, Expressions. So and I think the version I have is three, and it's the last one that they made. Uh, Microsoft bought it to fold into some software they were going to use that was a Flash competitor, So, which gives you an idea of, how far that goes back. Um, what it is basically it is a lot like those programs you mentioned, um, but it's uh, it's kind of built around, it's a vector drawing program. Um, so you can make a lot of custom brush strokes. The thing that's really cool about it that I found helpful uh, was that you basically can draw with something they call B-spleens. Um, so if you're drawing um, you know, a curve, you make a point here, here, and here, and it makes a nice, you know, beautiful curve that goes perfectly smoothly between those points and you can hit you know option and it gives you a sharp point if you if you want to have a hard corner so the the reason i use that is when i first started i got out of college i worked at a small illustration studio and what i did mainly was artwork for you know sync instructions or if you bought a moen sync i probably drew a few of those if you bought um their gas heaters things like that so i'd have to draw these really clean uh, images of these products and hoses and, you know, hands doing things to show you how to install it. Um, but the thing was, I never have had the steadiest hands. Um, and I, I would watch my boss do it. He could just sit there with the marker and make a perfect line. It would be beautiful. He wouldn't have to think about it. I asked him one day, 
how did you, how do you practice to do that? And he was about 60 at the time said, well, I practiced every day for about 20, 30 minutes and about five years ago. So when he was 55, uh, it finally clicked and I was able to do this that easily. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be employable for like 40 years while I figure this out the way things are. So uh, another guy at the studio was really into just trying out every new piece of software that came out um, and embraced that stuff. Um, he kind of showed me the ropes on these other programs and that kind of enabled me to do that artwork, uh, you know, much better. And I just ended up doing that kind of day in and day out of my job. And, you know, when I'd come home and try and do comics, it was, it seemed silly for me to switch gears and, and go back to doing my sketchy, you know, inking style that I would do by hand. Like when I, you know, I'd be there eight hours doing this. I didn't want to switch gears and do something else. I kind of wanted to build the strengths, you know, that I developed doing that at my regular job. So I pretty much just stuck with that. Um, it's basically, it's a lot like Clip Studio um, mixed with Illustrator, basically. So you, and I, I color in there as well. So you can uh, really streamline your process so that, you know, when I do my outlines of characters, I generally just do the whole outline because I can use that later for a color flat shape. Um, so it gives me, A, it lets me, you know, build upon what I've been doing day in and day out for 20, 30 years. Um, and additionally, I found a lot of ways over that time to just, you know, streamline my workflow. Say if I do this part of this this way, I'm going to be able to use that to make my life a lot easier down the line when I'm coloring it or doing, you know, gutters and borders, things like that. So it's a, it's a pretty unique process, but not really that too far removed from software like Clip Studio or Adobe Illustrator that people are you know, pretty familiar with. Now, now is this a program that... Uh, are you lettering your work as well? Yeah, yeah, I just do that so alone. You, you just oh, stay there. in the same program the whole time, then? Oh no, I, uh, uh, Expressions is not great at doing type, so I um, I do all my lettering in Adobe Illustrator. Okay. Unless it's something like on a console screen, um, if I don't draw that out, usually if you pop type into something like on a you know a, an advertisement in the background or a, you know a screen an interface thing, it looks pretty bad. So. I'll usually design that in Illustrator, um, get my perspective worked out, bring that into expressions, and then kind of draw it out with my my custom brushes so it looks like, you know, it's married to the artwork a little better. But yeah, I do my lettering in my I do my lettering in Adobe Illustrator, and then I do InDesign for like my Premiere Press and uh, design stuff. Is expressions a program that anyone can get, or are you just holding onto your computer praying? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if it's still available for a while because um, it's discontinued. They did have a version that was downloadable, and I don't know what the exact legality of that. I still basically, when my my old studio that I worked for closed down, we all kind of went in business for ourselves and bought you know the software from our old boss. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, I technically could say, yeah, I bought this. Right. Um, not that anybody's going to be you know hunting it down, but I, I don't know if. There might be a link to a version on their Wikipedia page if you look it up. I think it was called Creature House Expressions uh, or maybe Creature Labs. Um, but, yeah, basically, um, you know, it's dead software. I don't think anybody's too concerned about it. So if you find it, it still works in Windows 11 and you could conceivably get it installed and up and running. That's pretty cool. Uh, uh, quick question. I mean, since we have artists on here, uh, Kevin, you know, you and I are not, right? We just sit <laughs> back and let them draw. Um, there was a, a, a recent Kickstarter for something called uh, Abode, which mm -hmm. is kind of a take on Adobe, um, mm -hmm. uh, trying to make the make, you know, software, that suite of software for artists that, you know, you actually own. You don't have to rent. Yeah. Did, did, 
Do you guys see see that uh, Kickstarter? No, I didn't. Sounds no, cool. Though. Okay, well, tell you what, I'll send you the the link for it. Uh, it was it was really interesting. My my wife's a graphic designer, so I was the uh, the hatred for Adobe in this house is <laughs> strong. Strong. Uh, she yeah. uses it all. She has to, but you know, it's like. Why do they do this to us? They keep screwing it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's a monopoly. You're always going to have, it's the same as Diamond used to be. Everybody's going to carp about it. Um, and there's going to be, uh, I, every new version of everything they make is heavier and heavier and slower and slower. Um, you know, so it's, it's not to mention, you know, pretty expensive. So yeah, it's, uh, I share these frustrations. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, so, uh, well, and and one other question. So you're you're exclusively digital. Yeah. Don, you and Steve work both digital and traditional, or? Yeah, yeah. Um, not to speak for Steve, but I think we're both. We work digitally for the time benefits uh, mm -hmm. of it, but I think both Steve and I have uh, you know the deep love and appreciation, and wish we could just pull out the ink and pens and, and, uh, have those all the time. I have two small kids, so I struggled a lot trying to learn how to draw digitally. I had, you know, the, the small little, uh, cheap, uh, Wacom bamboo pad that wasn't the screen, but it was a little pad to try to get a feel of that. I had a couple of the, the budget, not the Cintiqs, but the, uh, first one I had, Oh, what was it? A monoprice monitor. It was like, 200 bucks it, it was pretty terrible but it kind of got me used to drawing on a screen a bit uh i have a huyan one now that's pretty good but when the pandemic hit uh i ended up just biting the bullet and getting an ipad pro and that was a game changer for me you know that's when everything really that and with I, I found the right brush that kind of like mimicked how i ink naturally anyway and it respond and i was able to get the settings to where it felt to sit like I was having the same response. And that's what really helped. Uh, like Benjamin, I have a terribly shaky hand. I'm also very heavy handed. So it's very difficult for me to like, uh, I have to like consciously make sure I'm not like just grinding into things. Yeah. Even my, I might like, sometimes I'm really going on the iPad. I have to be careful because I'm like digging into, I'm like bending the screen a little bit. Oh. Not that it's a super <laughs> tough screen to do that too, but it's just like, oh my God. But um, I definitely, uh, try to take more and more opportunities now in the, in the past years to go and ink traditionally, uh, which I did a little bit for the campaign. Uh, if you can right here behind me, one of the pages we have up, it's the only page from the, it's the only story page that is traditionally inked and it's up for a, a tier reward because it was a big, nice, big splash page. And I'm like, might as well do it. Well, I think Steve, you're on, on you're on your iPad, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, for gosh, um, probably my first uh, 15 years or so in comics and the 10 years before working in role-playing games, um, I did everything traditionally. Mm. But um, in 2013, uh, I made the switch over to uh, digital. Like Don, I was working on a, a model price and it was a turd. <laughs> um, and then I... Um, I was talking with uh, another artist who, who well, I, if I if I don't say the name, I sound cagey. If I say the name, I sound like I'm dropping a name. But uh, drop Steve away, Epkin, man. Steve Epkin <laughs> was using a Yanova, and that was a, a good um, 
alternative price-wise to uh, a Cintiq. So I, I ended up getting that. But as soon as I got the iPad, that was like the real liberator for me. Um, because at the time, I'd gone back to school to get my master's degree. I was working a full-time job, and I was still making comics. So I, I was able to just grab my iPad, go upstairs, and hang out with my partner while she was watching TV. So and get um, and get some work done. That's nice. It, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, as much as I would like to get back to doing more traditional work, um, you know, I didn't spend decades getting used to you know using a brush to 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 walk away from it. Uh, I really like being able to spend time with her while I'm you know doing all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like on commissions and stuff like that digital is still part of my workflow. It's, uh, I'll do my underground digitally. I'll, I'll put to, uh, to blue line and ink it, um, mostly with brush occasionally a little bit with a, uh, like, a, a brush marker, but mostly it's, it's brush. Although I have lost some of my, my split brush and dry brush chops. Cause I spent a lot of years trying to figure out how Mark Schultz does that stuff. <laughs> Well, about that much of it, you know. So, how how do you decide if, as as a writer artist who has written comics other artists have drawn, who has written your own comics that you draw, and I believe has drawn comics for other writers, how how do you when when a project comes into your head, how do you decide? I want I want to do this all me. I feel like I'm the artist for this, or I feel like it's a great idea that I want to be a part of, but I want to bring this to Don. How, how does that work? Oh, I'm so damn slow. I, I just <laughs> acknowledge the fact that I, well, I'm finally coming around to the fact that pretty much, I think I'm just going to be writing and drawing Athena Voltaire and, you know, maybe doing variant covers like on the catch or, or on Edie. But then it's just a matter of finding somebody who will put up with my nonsense and wants to, you know, earn no money in the world of independent comics. Uh, you, Do those people talk. exist? Can can we talk afterwards? <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's wants to. It's uh, is patient enough to accept it for now. Oh, I think. How's that? I, I missed the beginning of it. Everything had frozen. Were you talking to me? I was talking to everybody. Did I freeze? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think everyone froze. What, what was the question? I was just <laughs> saying, I don't believe that Don has agreed to not make money. I believe he's patient <laughs> enough to wait for the time when money comes. How's that? I think that's reasonable. Well, I, <laughs> you know, the well, first if time I, you, if I can I help see you out here, Don. Uh, real quick history lesson. Steve was actually the first professional I ever worked up the nerve to talk to at a convention oh, cool. when I first started getting back into comics. I want to say around 2009. It was right after the first. It was right after the first Athena Kickstarter, and um, I, I just got back into like reading comics, and I was flirting with the idea of starting to draw again and all that stuff. And because I had like a 10 year gap where I didn't do anything. And yeah, I just got to know Steve and, you know, I tell everybody, like, if you had to have someone be the first person you meet at a convention to talk to and like, calm your anxiety about like not doing that usually, it's Steve Bryant. (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> so, um, but over the course of the past, you know, I don't want to mention the number of years, uh, you know, Steve and I, we've become friends and we've flirted with, you know, I, I, we flirted with the idea of doing stuff, uh, as he started to write more for other people and all that. And, uh, we were actually going to work on something where I approached him with the concept. He was going to help me flesh it out and write it. And I was going to draw it. And that, that, that didn't formulate the way, uh, I think, uh, I wanted to, so we kind of shelved that. And then, um, I want to say just over two years ago, I'm, I'm sitting in my car, uh, waiting on my daughter from an appointment. I get a, a text from Steve like, Hey, I have this idea. I wonder if you're going to be into it. And then he just sent me the, uh, this logo of a uh, Van Helsing, but with the Van Halen font mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, I like, music and guitars, if you couldn't tell. Uh, so I'm like, I'm in. So we kind of just like, he's trying to tell me the story and I'm like, you know, and I, I do this to Steve to this day where he'll, he'll give me some information about a story and I'll start springing ideas off of my head and like info dumping him with like, Oh, it could be this, it could be this. And like, I think the first thing I, one of the first things I did, I think was like, can we make it, you know, a, a female protagonist as opposed to a male protagonist? And, well, yeah, um, that that was a lifesaver because originally, yeah. um, the the whole concept was Eddie Eddie Van Helsing, and then Eddie Van Halen inconveniently died, and made the whole thing seem like it was in really poor taste, <laughs> which it would have been. And Don suggested the gender swap, which I I feel like was the, that that's the linchpin that took it from just being a gag to be in characters that we love being a cop from a gag to a comic. Yeah. yeah I'm going to yeah. pull up the page and we can look at some of the art and, and the, um, the exact thing. So, so while Kevin's pulling up the page, since I have three artists captive, <laughs> I, uh, I'm always curious about like work process. Cause I know I've heard lots of artists say, well, I'll just have like Columbo on in the background or I'll have this on <laughs> this movie or, I've, you know, got friends on or, you know, all these shows in the background. And I'm, I'm so amazed because if there's something on the TV that has any kind of narrative in it, I, I'm focused and I can't do anything else. Uh, in fact, my wife will slap me upside the head because, you know, like, I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> I'm watching TV, you know, <laughs> I'm, or I'm reading. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's weird focus problem, but. I've always found it interesting that art, you, you know, you're able to listen to music, you're able to, to potentially, you know, have a TV on and, you know, be, you know, have, have other things. Is that part of your process? Do you guys, you know, do you know, watch TV or listen to music or anything while you work? Uh, I am all of the above. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I have a touch of the old mineral diversity. So um, there's always kind of like a white noise aspect to whatever I do. Even if I'm like going to do the dishes, I have a, you know, podcast or YouTube in my ear or something. There's always something in the background bubbling and, and playing. So even if it's something I haven't seen before or has a narrative and I'm drawing, uh, it's it's fine. I, I Like I'm, I'm used to just kind of like splitting that up. And, you know, I wouldn't be able to tell you five minutes later, you know, verbatim what just happened on screen, <laughs> but I can give you the gist of it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely uh, 
for me, it's definitely situational because, you know, some nights I'm like, I'm in a music mood and then what music? And then, you know, I just, thankfully I have enough playlists auto set for myself now that if I'm like, oh, I'm feeling synth wavy tonight, I'm feeling, you know, death metally tonight, you know, whatever it is, I can just put that on. And, you know, the, the main go-to for me is YouTube and that, and that's just tends to be a lot of, uh, uh, just, you know, uh, videos for tech stuff or music stuff, or kind of like the talking head kind of explainer kind of stuff. Um, and, and that stuff, that's stuff I really need to like pay a lot of attention to, you know, it, it's pretty much podcast stuff, you know? So, uh, that's kind of what my go-to is. And I haven't sat down and like figured out like if there's like a certain correlation between if I'm doing layouts, I tend to listen to this more, this kind of thing more, if I do this thing more, I'm sure when I'm doing like layouts and thumbnails, I'm probably more in the music side of things. Mm. I, I'm fairly, I'm fairly certain of that. I just don't have any actual data to back it up, <laughs> but, um, uh, that, that just, yeah, this is kind of come on, kind of my approach. Uh, the other gentlemen want to chime in. Yeah. I, I cannot really focus on other stuff. So I'll, I'll do music. Um, uh, I'll occasionally do YouTube stuff. If it's like an old documentary, you know, I'll watch like documentary presidents and stuff like that. I can kind of let go. Um, especially if they're ones I've watched over and over again, but I can't really focus on a new thing. Like I'll watch, I'll put on Indiana Jones or star Wars cause I've seen mm -hmm. them a million times and I don't really have to like watch it to, to be following along, but I couldn't watch like a new story. Uh, or even like listen to an audiobook. The amount of times I tried to listen to, you know, I'll, I was trying to listen to The Stars My Destination by uh, Bester a while ago. And what happens is I'll be drawing or working or answering emails and I'll just tune out of the book and then realize I've missed the equivalent of like the last seven pages. But it's even worse with an audiobook because you have to figure out where on earth you were. So yeah, I really, I have to either keep to really familiar stuff or music. Um, I couldn't like watch something like breaking bad where you have to follow along with the plot and remember this guy did that thing. And now this guy's mad at him. Like I would never yeah. be able to do that. I will say if it is something that I find more and more engaging, I do have to like, okay, this is not a working show. This is, I'm yeah. doing like, I can like, uh, I just had that experience with uh, Picard and lower decks. Cause I okay. had a, I, I got a chance to have some, uh, a little bit of a, the paramount plus thing. And I'm like, okay, this stuff's I, I'm enjoying this too much to like, Mm -hmm. Do it to that. So that became my dishwashing shows for a while. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, actually, I've never asked you this question, Steve. Um, well, when, I, when I'm writing, it's either like silence or appropriate music. Um, and usually the appropriate music tends to fall under the category of like film scores and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up dropping a whopping... 12 bucks on the uh, the soundtrack to um, Netflix's Lockwood and Company, which is really a good score for a variety of different genres. So I'm kind of enjoying, you know, that is my, my main writing music the last, you know, month or so. But um, for drawing, again, like, like Benjamin and Don, um, there, I, I can't just grab on to uh, something new, um, you know, if, if uh, we're watching sitcoms upstairs or, or whatever, I can, I can definitely just kind of listen along to that. But if I'm, if I'm 
really trying to to focus on what I'm doing. It's usually something I've seen before. Again, like the Indiana Jones movies, uh, I I can probably recite This Is Spinal Tap or In um, <laughs> Trouble in Little China without any prompts, uh, you start to finish. Um, and a lot of James Cameron. Uh, so, you know, because <laughs> it's like, I'll be, I'll be drawing, I'll be drawing. And I'm like, okay, we're coming up on the, on the, uh, you know, helicopter rescue scene from the, over the Florida Keys from, from True Lies. So now I put the pencil down, I look up, okay, we're done with the, the rescue. I can get back to working, but yeah, it's, um, it's weird. I will say, um, one of the, what, and, um, this is something that that I realized in recent years, and I don't know if my ADHD is getting worse as I'm getting older, or if it's a, a you know a different neurodiversity issue. But um, I need to plan out what I'm going to listen to or watch while I'm working, because I found it's a really easy rabbit hole. Like mm-hmm. if my girlfriend goes out of town for the weekend, I can easily spend the majority of that Friday night, just looking through the DVDs and going, Oh, what should I listen to? What should I, <laughs> you know, Oh, if I pick TV on, you know, DVD, I, or, you know, stream something, I'm good for about four hours with letting the time pass. And I won't really notice because it'll, it'll flow. And I'll just stupidly waste a ton of time looking for something. And then I'll look up and it's like, you know, 1230. I'll be like, shit. And, and you didn't watch anything, <laughs> right? I didn't watch anything. Didn't didn't do a lick of drawing. I've wasted this this solo time I had. So yeah, I, I learned I need to plan out. You know, is it a podcast or I I like Benjamin? I'm not really good with audiobooks when I'm working. Well, um, yeah, I have found that when I'm fulfilling a Kickstarter, I have like three or four albums that I. I roll through, you know, like a Foo Fighters album, uh, Joe Strummer, the Mescaleros album, and Anna Nalek album. And I just, you know, one album's about an hour of work. So boom, finish an album. I take take a 15, 20 minute break, <laughs> put in a different CD, get back to it, you know? And, and those are like my, it's a, a weird fixation that it's always those three CDs I listen during fulfillment and then I don't put them in till three months later when I've got a full full Kickstarter, but it feels like it feels right to me. Um, Is it like the pacing of the songs to where it keeps you, you know, I I think it's those uh, Gemini mailers, you know, I think it just feels like a treat that, that this is my time to turn the music up real loud and, and do it, you know, and it makes it feel like fulfillment's a treat because I actually don't mind you know, taping up and stuff, but actually having to make sure that people get the books they paid for is uh, <laughs> difficult for me. So, you know, it's nice to have something uh, as, you know, a, a cherry or, or a dessert to the to the vegetables of doing the real work, you know. Well, you know, for me, the from a writing standpoint, I, I'm a lot like Steve is that it's going to be film scores or or even uh, some video game scores. I love the Halo soundtracks. Uh, oh, those yeah. things yeah. are just awesome. Uh, but like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, you know, I cite Raiders of the Lost Ark, cycle through those and 
because if I if I'm listening to something with with lyrics, I, I not I I just I can't do it. You know, it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I have started watching those. Um, there's the people make these. You know, they've been around a long time. But these long play videos of like old NES or Genesis games. Yeah, those I'll put on because it's got all this old music I love and haven't heard in you know, uh-huh. forty years, and. Uh, those are those are a blast, and they have some cool visuals too. But every now and then, I look over and like, oh wow, that's a that's a cool looking boss robot or something like that. But uh, yeah, those are those are another kind of in between narrative and you know not necessarily like dialogue and point A point B type stuff. That's cool. I'll have to give some of those a try. That's that's really cool. Oh, it looks like yeah. we've got. We had Joey Galvez in the chat. He he, know, he heard there was an announcement asking if he uh, if he missed it. Not yet, Joey. We have not given the big announcement. We're finishing up on Evie and the Helsings. Um, so basically, this is issue two. And how long uh, would this go if uh, if you eventually are going to make money on this and and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, how long would this go if you got if if your dreams came true on this this property? Well, we have uh, four issues for this first arc planned out. Um, Steve and I are you know constantly sending each other ideas back and forth for a second and you know third arc that would be kind of the the major over uh, story. Not that you know we wouldn't be able to go back to this world and do things like that, but the 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 main uh you know character arcs and stuff like that and, and a lot of the, the stuff we're starting to build with this first uh, few issues would be with that and that's been a lot of fun um obviously we're very focused on getting you know what you, what's in front of us done <laughs> first but we definitely want to make sure while we're doing that we're putting things in and we're thinking about what could come next so that way it's not it, it's all cohesive it all fits together uh and it, it it all works and uh i'm i'm pleased as peach that you know i had a i think a really fun idea for a second arc and steve's such a great collaborator that he's that he's just like no ego involved on it he's like yes because i know he's gonna you know just kill it when it comes to fleshing things out which you know is uh, a, a huge huge uh benefit to anybody any any artist and writer combo is if you're both open to hearing mm-hmm. you know each other's ideas and you know steve's a great artist so obviously if he has and i if he has like a note for me with the art obviously i'm gonna be like okay you know <laughs> I, I believe you uh uh it, whether if i if i disagree or not at least i know it's coming from a, a place of experience and you know but you know steve's he's really great at uh taking any any small little thing i say hey can we do this can we do this and making it really cool even with this second issue i had an idea towards the end of the issue like hey what if can can we add this and in my head it was just like you know very basic this thing happens and then he comes up with like a really just simple super genius idea of why this thing happens Mm -hmm. and i'm like that's why you're the writer and i'm the And I'm the artist here because it's, uh, yeah, it, it was just something I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. But so, I, I have to assume, Steve, for you, it's like, oh wait, you're excited to do that? Of course, I want to give my artist the thing he's excited to draw. Well, yeah, yeah, and 
I try I try not to give a lot of notes, but I, I, I think when we when we started off I was probably heavier handed than I than I've ever been or have been since, I, I hope I hope. But um, like with with script writing and stuff, um, I try not to I don't like to spell out like how a fight scene works because um, I always struggled with that when I would get, you know, these really specific scripts that, you know, talk about guy A punches, we're viewing it from over his shoulder and it, it just becomes all these, these checklist things. Um, and I, I realized about, I think it's been about four years now, um, I realized that I have something called aphantasia, which means that my mind's eye is blind. Like, I cannot visualize something you tell me about, which is why I use reference and stuff like that. Um, but I read, uh, like, an interview in Scientific American with uh, Disney animator Glenn Keane, and I was like, holy shit, that's what I've got. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, like, I, I know that's kind of influenced how, how I write scripts, um, just because I try not to... Uh, lay everything out because I can't visualize it. The, the only way I would visualize like one of my own scripts is I would write down what needs to happen. And then I'd sit down and, you know, start trying to sketch out and visualize. And I'd shoot some reference of myself standing around and I, mm -hmm. you know, gradually cobble together what it, what it needs to be. But I don't need to, to do that when I, when I send the script out, there will be occasional things where, you know, I'll say, you know, inset question mark or small panel because not not so much because I'm trying to dictate the the narrative flow, but just I don't think this is that important of a detail. It's just something that you know we need to move from point A to point B on. Will Will you send them something like you've got you've got three pages of fights? Uh, it's going to start here. It better end here. Or do you get a little bit more into it than that? That's that's totally it. It's like, it's like, um, you know, first panel on the page, it starts here and then fill out the rest that you want. And then, you know, two script pages later, it'll say, uh, continue action however you want. Last panel, you know, we end up here. And, mm -hmm. um, like when I, when I worked in, in role-playing games, um, I started at a company called GDW, Game Designers Workshop. Uh, they did like games like Traveler and stuff like that. And everything always had these really long illo descriptions from the, the game designers. And they were usually really dull because these were not visual people that were mm -hmm. that were feeling like they had to earn their, you know, earn their salt. They would come up with like an overly complicated description. And I had friends that were um, working at FASA in Chicago, and I later ended up moving from GDW to, to FASA, working on Battletech and Shadowrun and stuff like that. And the FASA illos were always much better. And that's because they would uh, not write any illo descriptions. There would be a large hole for the illo, so you knew what size it had to be. And it would be like, pick something on this page and illustrate it. And every artist was able to play to their strengths. And they were 
able to come up with really engaging visuals. And that was a great learning experience for me that sometimes the best answer is to just turn the artist loose, turn your collaborator loose. That's how I like to work. So, you know, I, I, I hope that nobody feels like, you know, oh, Jesus, this guy's making me do all the heavy lifting or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I so always I'm extra sweary tonight. <laughs> do you do you write a full script for Don for for Eve for Evie? Yeah, but it's it's I think it's a pretty bare bones full script. Like if two yeah. people are talking, yeah. it's like panel one, Evie, panel two, Marcus, panel three, Marcus, closer. And mm -hmm. you know, that's that's the extent of it. And then he'll send layouts and I won't even compare it to the script. I'm like, oh I know what's going on here. I don't need to look at the script. Mm -hmm. um, and like Don breaks things down in a really interesting way as a storyteller. Um, like you'll, you'll segment action. I, I try to write things with not too many panels to a page. I try to average four or five. Um, just because I, I never want to run into that situation where someone's cursing because there's so many small panels. But <laughs> Don, Don, will, Don will take a moment and break it down um, in a way. And I, 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 I remember, well, it, the double page spread, the uh, performance of, of the band at the end of issue one, um, where we've got all these little vignettes and there's headshots and there's like close-ups of, you know, tapping on, on the fretboard. And just, it was this really cool way to show like the kinetic environment of of a concert. It's all these images flashing by like an MTV video from, from 35 years ago. And I never would have been able to think of that in, in that way or describe that kind of layout, but turning Don loose, he did something much better than, than what's in the script. And I, I feel like that's one of the, one of the beauties of, of having a collaborator that's a good storyteller instead of just, you know, a, uh, an art robot. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's a collaborator from top to bottom who, who cares about the characters and how to portray them. And that's, you know, when you, to your, to your question of how long, you know, would this ideally run as long as he wants to drive. I mean, that's <laughs> really it. That's the heavy lifting. Um, well, we've got a question that kind of dovetails into that from Joey. Um, how far out do you map out a story? Um, arc by arc, issue by issue? Um, uh, well, like for Evie, um, I knew where issue, where the first arc was going to go. And I had broad strokes of where I, you know, thought we could go with the second one, mostly from character points of view. Mm -hmm. And then Don had this, this great idea that um, essentially, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, it takes the characters out of L.A., because it's a band and bands go on tours mm -hmm. and so it it's kind of a great way to put put them in a different kind of environment but we're dealing with you know evie is coming to terms with the the two worlds she has to navigate mm -hmm. but she's removed from the support system that she has in the first arc and so just by don suggesting that and he has a lot of really cool story beats in there but that opened up a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and then, yeah, 
he sent me a huge text message and I did ask him to send me an email of it just because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not joking. Like I, I just info dump hey. Steve with things. I think I think, I think, yeah. I think we had a generation uh, crash there when you tried to text him <laughs> an entire arc of a comic. <laughs> well, I, I think I think the the thing is the a lot of what Steve and I get along with is we're both very much focused on the characters, yeah. and almost to the point to where the 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 actual plot of the story doesn't really matter, even though it does obviously, but like it doesn't matter unless you care about the characters. It doesn't right. matter who's in danger if you don't care if they're in danger. And that's a lot of the stuff Steve and I both really think about. So that's a lot of the stuff we kind of send back and forth. And Steve's really great at taking that uh, and saying, okay, well, here's the over uh, overarching story. Here's how we can fit that in with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Steve's, easily the best collaborator I've ever had on a project. You know, I love his scripts. They give me plenty of rope to hang myself with, but you know, I'm always up for the challenge. And if it, even if you look at the campaign page for uh, issue two, the, the little fight scene that you, that's part of the preview pages, that was one of the ones he was talking about. We start here. I get a couple of pages just to have a good old choreographed fight when, where I'm trying to make Steve, say oh that's cool you know steve's my primary audience on this oh, thank you. and so you know if he thinks it's cool then i'm good with it you know so that's you know a prime example of of, uh, of how he does that so um i forgot where i was going with this but <laughs> uh, yeah you know I, but yeah in, in terms of planning out like we steve and i know how like the last bad guy goes out and that, that was his idea he told me it's a brilliant idea at c2e2 i literally came in like the second day of c2e2 and i'm like i'm I, it could be tabled next to each other at the convention and i'm like i know how he goes yeah. and then i tell him and he's just and he's like and and i'm like i know exactly what the the the, the dialogue happens to and I'm not going to say any more, but you know, it, well, it, that's it's super cool. Callback and beautiful symmetry. Um, yeah. But yeah, and the the cool thing was, we had talked about that for arc number three, and he had a plot for arc number two, and like, I'll I'll have various things in the back of my head, little obsessions that um, I'm like, I want to incorporate this into a story sometime, like. Mm -hmm you know, LA murder houses and uh, satanic panic. And suddenly what Don is suggesting, I'm like, oh, I can, I can, I can put these other weird little things that I've had floating around in my head for like 20 years. I can put these into the story too. And yeah, suddenly it, it just becomes this, this really cool thing that is not what either of you expected. That's um, awesome. So well, yeah, it's, uh so we're, we're planning through about 12 issues cool vaguely uh benjamin uh, question for you i know we've mm -hmm. you you do everything do you yeah. actually write a full script for yourself or a I, loose plot how, how do uh, you work I, well i i learned from my experience with august that i needed to <laughs> do that um so i basically now and this is the case with scroll of twilight the next scroll of twilight and the august uh sequel i'm working on is i generally put it together in excel um I just do say I'm going to do 22 page issue. 
Um, I know the scenes I want to have. I know the, I, I usually have like emails to myself and say, you know, um, plot points, it's kind of an overall journey. Sometimes there's some dialogue in there if it's an important thing or a, a, a type of thing I want to do. Um, so I'll have like a paragraph or two written out and then I'll just say, here's my 22 pages. Uh, this scene, write the scenes down. Say there's, you know, 10 scenes in that, in that 22 page, you know, comic. Um, and then I just start playing with the numbers. Say, I'd really like for this to have four. And then this one needs two. Once it all adds up to 22, I just start to add and subtract until I get to where I need to be. And, um, you know, make sure the flow is right and all that stuff. But I, I've, I've learned to be like really disciplined about doing that because I've, like I said, I've gotten into some pretty hot water in terms of just really getting lost the story uh, before. So I, I've started to just be really like set it out, have an Excel sheet for each each issue and uh, and just make adjustments there. So, well, I've got a question uh, for everybody from Joey in the chat. But Ben, I have to ask, where in America are you? I'm in upstate New York. I'm about 30 miles north of New York City. Well, then, happy birthday, brother. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's after happy midnight birthday. for you. It happy is. birthday. Yeah. I'm now uh, 44. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Well, we're not going to sing for you. Uh, we, <laughs> did it, we did it for Shawnee once, and we were actually kicked off of YouTube for a month and a half because of Will yeah. and Mai's uh, <laughs> voice. Uh, so we don't do that anymore. Um but I want to ask this question of everybody, and then I've got a birthday present uh, that I want to wrap in an announcement. So how real do you guys make your characters to be able to get into their headspace and show depth? That's from Joey Galvez in the chat. Well, I can run to that. It depends on the story. For instance, August is a pretty real guy. Um, at least when we pick up the story in Purgatory Underground, he's, He's kind of like in this in a uh, thank you, Joey. Appreciate it. He's he's kind of a Clint Eastwood, kind of a guy that's almost like Luke Skywalker or Dick Grayson, but he has turned into kind of a Clint Eastwood, Stephen Queen type guy where he's a little quieter, a little more cynical. So he's very realistic. And I I think of his stuff mainly in terms of dialogue because I'm really thinking about his reactions, his his statements, how little he says, how much he says. So in that case, it's really realistic. For We Are Scarlet Twilight. Uh, the main character is Captain Lancet. He's a very, he's almost an archetype. He has some twists and turns to his character, um, which you'd know if you've read it, but he still is very much a, I wouldn't say he's one dimensional, but he is, he's kind of almost like Adam West's Batman. He's very uh, on the surface. So in that case, you know, I don't really get into him having much of an interior mental life. Uh, he says, everything is out there on the surface. Um, he says everything he thinks it's, it's very on the table. So uh, for me, it just depends on the story and, and kind of what, what I'm trying to get across, where the drama is coming from. Is it plot based? Is it what's going to happen? Or is it, you know, what's this guy thinking? What's he going to do? How about with Evie? I'll, I'll let Steve go first since he's, he's oh. the writer. <laughs> um, yeah. With, with, it, it's weird. I, I've noticed in the last few years that like everything I write in some ways um, from like a character perspective is always about family. And I had a great relationship with, with my parents. They both, you know, since passed, but um, I, I think that that parental conflict or the parental support is always this really nice push and pull 
that you know I've played around with in Eevee and Athena Voltaire and The Catch. Um, and it's just been, I, I think starting from the point of who these people are, who your lead is, and what their relationships to the people around them. With, uh, with like Evie, um, she's estranged from her uh, mother. Um, we don't know anything about her dad. Maybe we will one day. But um, her, she surrounds herself with the found family of the band. And Don is a far more experienced musician than I am, but in a, in a previous life, um, I, I played in bands and there, there is that it, it's the same thing as like a, a comic collaborator or any artistic collaborator there, there's, um, it, it's more than a friendship there, there, there's a bond and being in a band, it's that same kind of thing because, you know, when, when you're playing in front of a hostile crowd, um, the only people that have your back are the, the two or three or four other people on the stage with you. And so I, I feel like that's, Edie's got her armor up with her actual family, but her found family is the thing that, right, when we first meet her, that's who she's fighting for. Hmm. That's what she's trying to hold on to is the, the band. Um, and I, I think for me, sorry, I know this is turning into another freaking TED talk, but for me, um, the, the big thing is just to kind of, um, you know, find the will and the want of the character and everything else kind of falls into place from there. And now I'll hand it off to Don and he'll contradict everything I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, when I'm, when I'm drawing Evie and I'm reading the scripts and I'm looking at everything, what I really try to do is I try to find something of myself, whether I like it or not in each character. And that's how I try to find my way into how will this person react to this person? And, and you know, what would, how big will that expression be when they're, you know, when they're perturbed? Are they like, you know, just kind of mildly, you know, you know, just influencing whatever the, the visual of it will be. And so that that's just kind of my in with everything, you know, like with, like with Evie, like the wanting to, uh, you know, pursue something that's, you know, deep within you, but, other things are, are going to be calling your attention and mm -hmm. you want to hold on to that. Um, e even some of the, the less uh, nice characters, you know, you know, uh, seeing like the stuff I, you know, I may not like about myself <laughs> in them, but like acknowledging that, you know, uh, that, okay, I, I can, I've had those feelings. I've had that, like, you know, maybe not wanting to bite someone's throat or, or, or suck their blood. Um, or maybe, I was, I don't know, you don't I, have my I, life. I, I, I was thinking yeah. like murderous bloodlust. I have murderous <laughs> bloodlust. I mean, I did, I did have an hour and a half commute to and from Chicago for about 10 okay. years. So, so you've murderous wanted, you've blood wanted blood. to do it. Definitely. Whether you've done it or not, we're not going to get into tonight. <laughs> I get attuned to not that. Not on Ben's birthday. No, no. Yeah, please. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's just kind of, that's kind of my approach to it. Like to, I, I just try to find myself in them, even if it's just like a small amount. No, you, you bring up a good point. If I can piggyback on that for a second, because that was the whole thing with the band dynamics when she's trying to hold the band together, you know, you, you have, um, 
Ricky, the character that takes it all too seriously and is too impatient and too pushy with everybody else. And he may overlook his own flaws. And I, I know what you mean, Don, because I half the time that I was in, in bands 30 years ago, I was that guy. And, you know, 10% of the other time I was this one and this one. And yeah, you it, it's really easy to see yourself in, in these characters um, from a creative point of view. And then you're just like, it's either how did I handle this poorly or how would I have ideally handled this? Mm. Sorry, that was a long answer. I'll shut up. No, no worries. Interesting. It's Ben's uh, birthday and I'm just yammering. Well, it, it doesn't have to be all about that. I mean, obviously. Well, it, I, does. I it does. But, it does, <laughs> and it's, week, dude, it's all going to be about me then. So it's go. going to be. Well, Steve, you should have come on next week. <laughs> Will and I said that if we ever had a creator come on our show on their birthday as a present, we would give them explain yourself. So happy birthday, Ben. <laughs> this show is now yours to do with as you please, because wow. the big announcement is this may not be our last explain yourself that Will and I host or co-host, but the only reason it wouldn't be our last is if we help you take it over because bam, bam, the new host of explain yourself uh, soon maybe two weeks from now, maybe three weeks from now, will be Ben. And thank you. I'm excited to do it, guys. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, what, it's exactly what I wanted, by the way. I don't know how you knew. <laughs> <laughs> We've just been waiting for two years for somebody to show up on their birthday. Yeah. And finally glad, it happened. Glad it worked out, yeah. So, no. yeah, I love the show and uh, very excited to kind of take the baton here and run with it. So I'm really looking forward to to kind of starting off on this uh, journey. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, we're we're excited uh, to. Um, I mean, I think Will, you're excited to play uh, Tears of the Kingdom on Friday night. I think that's yeah. <laughs> in, in to to let everybody know it's it's certainly not that we didn't like doing this because we love doing it. It's um, my daughter just started high school, and when we started this show, I could. Uh, do the show at Friday night, and that was the time that Will could be here. And I could sleep in Saturday till about 11. And if I only got to sleep in till 9 on Sunday, I could sleep in for two hours. Well, I got a little puppy over there in her puppy prison. She oh. wakes me up around 5 a.m. And then the old dog wakes me up at 6 a.m. to eat breakfast. And so I no longer can sleep in. And I used to be able to, because my daughter's middle school was five minutes away from our house. I used to be able to wake up at like 740 to get her to school at 815. And now I got to get up at 6 a.m. to get her to school at 730 because the new school's 25 minute drive. So my ass is tired <laughs> and I can't do these late nights anymore. And it's the only time Will and I can possibly do it at the same time and we decided uh i didn't want to do this without will and i asked him if he wanted to do it without me and he said absolutely and i said well you can't because i'm going to give it to ben <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i did most such a blast right most of that was right <laughs> 
I've had such a blast just talking to other creators as I've been out doing these things to, to get the word out about August and about Scarlet Twilight. And uh, when Joey asked me if I'd be interested, I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. I, I really, I, you know, I like, obviously I'm a windbag and I'll get out there and talk about my own stuff until you tell me to stop. But, um, you know, I've just I really enjoy talking with other artists, writers. You know, there's so many different ways to do what we're trying to do. Uh, and it's always really interesting to to see how other people do it. It's also you know really informative. I'm like, wow, I've been doing this the wrong way or I could be doing it a much better way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, you know, I think we all just love comics so much. We can sit there and talk about our favorite stories, you know, what inspires us. Uh, I've always just had so much fun doing that. So I'm really pumped to. Keep doing it probably every Saturday. All right. Well, we uh, I, I will I will ask when I've got a campaign on if I can if you can fit me in. I uh, I'd love to come on. I might be able to stay up one night. Uh, <laughs> it's just not one night a week anymore. I don't, I can't. I'm too I'm too old and I'm waking up too early. So uh, that's it. That's the big announcement. And um, we have uh, a. a very cool project that asked to be on the show and I will put you in touch with them. And if they cool. can do it that Saturday with you Thanks. and that's to explain yourself will be yours. And if you guys can't work it out, maybe Will and I will come in for one more Friday to just make sure nobody gets lost yeah, in the shuffle. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you guys have created something awesome here and I, uh, I'm looking forward to, like I said, taking the baton and trying to do right by it. Hey, and we are looking forward to um, getting credit for the Explain Yourself bump for the next decade when you yeah, host the show. Uh, that was, and, I thought that was weird in the paperwork, but uh, yeah, okay. Hey, it was, it listen, listen, you know, it's, uh, it's a gift, but it's also an albatross that you got to <laughs> wear, wear, wear across your uh, shoulders for a while. Um, I'm just surprised he signed that contract. I mean, that was kind of, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever. Well, I really wanted to do it. I decided to just, uh, you know, sign a dotted line and hope for the best. No, that's yeah, awesome. that's always and that always works out. <laughs> in case somebody yeah, just came never in, gone wrong in the history of never. Comics. No, never. no, you you always sign any comic book contract. You never you never read those. I feel Steve just seething right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I didn't realize how mean that conversation actually was. Sorry, Steve. Just have, have have a key person uh, clause yeah. in in your contract because if somehow you know the the silent partner forces all the cool people out of the company, it's good to know that you can get out. Mm-hmm. I I'm saying hypothetically, if, hypothetically, if, yes, absolutely. If uh, if that that kind of action ever happens in your lab. <laughs> to, to make sure that you bravo, bravo. From, from the inaction slab. All right. Well, in case somebody just popped on to Facebook and saw this and didn't get a chance to hear the 30 second pitch on the two campaigns, um, Steve, you weren't here to do it. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the last 30 seconds I'll do the show and I can't talk. I'm, I'm verklempt. Uh, speak amongst yourselves. <clears throat> Um, Steve, uh, how would you get uh, my attention if I was walking past your booth about Eevee? For generations, the Van Helsing family has protected mankind from the things that go bump in the night. The last protector has fallen, and the mantle goes to their heir. Unfortunately, Eevee Van Helsing just wants to rock. Nice. <laughs> nice. And, and Ben, one, one more time on August. 
So uh, Captain August is a celebrated galactic hero in the midst of a, you know, epic civil war that takes place in, you know, the Milky Way. Um, after a tragedy happens and destroys the planet of Mars, this once, you know, celebrated guy is blamed and sort of hunted by friend and foe. He's running out of options to continue his life as it was once the war winds down, and he finds himself taking on more and more dangerous missions. So in the course of that, he does some things he shouldn't do and finds out that uh, not only is, are his friends gone, but a lot of his old enemies are not as as gone as he had hoped they were. So uh, he pretty much is struggling to get out from under the shadow of this controversy and also make peace with his past and find a new path for himself. Nice. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate you being on, even though not every one of you knew you were on maybe Will and I's last show, but um, appreciate you being part of it. Um, Shawnee, got to give you a huge thanks. You've been with us yep. maybe more than anybody. Joey, thank you for being in the chat. I think that's who was in the chat tonight, Joey and mm -hmm. Shawnee. And uh, biggest thanks go to Will. Thank you for uh, joining me on a on a two-year tour, a two-year <laughs> tour. It was a blast, man. Thanks for, thanks for hanging out with me for two years. Last, last little sip of tea. <laughs> One for our homies. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks again, guys. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now